0: Hello children, this is your father broadcasting from Wishing you a snowy happy Christmas Oh, that's right, we're going to be there on Christmas But it ain't going to look like this This is, uh, all the snow's come down in the last couple days Quite pretty See you soon, there's our star There's our and there's, uh, I think that's a snowman. It looks like a cowboy gone rogue.
1: And uh, you know, there's George's swing set next door. There's the Daytons. Pretty sweet. Okay.
0: That's about it. See you soon. Bye bye. By the way, congratulations.
2: Looking forward to seeing you. Bye-bye. My name is Jerry Wilson. I'm the owner of Hospitality Technology Solutions.
1: We're a portion of company that was created to help business owners like you use technology to control people, products, payments, and profits. In this series of videos, we're going to talk about employee theft, how you can recognize it, and how you can stop it. due to the employee theft, we're going to aim to help cut that off and reduce that number drastically. In this video, we're going to talk about a concept called Stacking. This is how employees who are stealing from you keep track of how much money they're going to take out of the at the end of the day. What are your feelings on net neutrality?
0: Oh, I think net neutrality is the dumbest stuff ever. The dumbest stuff ever. The case of net neutrality is not a technical argument. It's not a business argument. It's purely and simply a demonization of a couple of big companies.
3: Mark Cuban, retire, bitch. Ajit Pai, retire, bitch.
1: Oh yeah. By the way, um, if you look closely, right under the profile of the Trump, you will see
0: Santa porch across the street to apparently.
3: I stared across an expanse of unforgiving desert. A wasteland covered in ruinous sand, crawling with scorpions hungry for that dick. The scorpions beckoned me with their siren calls. I recognized those calls. It was an unforgettable melody from my days as a young socialist in the Midwest. The lyrics came flooding back to me. The searchers all say, they'd have made Whitefish Bay, if they'd put fifteen more miles behind her. Yes. It was Gordon Lightfoot's inimitable banger, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. I sat onto the ragged earth and pressed my palms against the arid, scorched sand. I could smell the lust emanating from the scorpions. Their raging, unruly boners wagging wildly in the desert wind. It seemed... audacious but I respected them for it. Here we are, the human race, toiling away at desk jobs in academia while these savage scorpions throttle each other daily for that dick. A millennial's dream. It suddenly occurred to me, having some perspective in my thirties, that my life had become an indecipherable blur of cocaine and PDF attachments. Share a document. Share a line. What difference did it make? I was a sham. My wife knew it. And my children knew it. The only person who didn't, it seemed, was me, Staffan Lee, the studio manager here at The Humor and The Abject Podcast. Welcome back to another episode, you scorpion-dick-riding screedlers. We are truly witnessing the end of days. I, for one, am extremely here for it. You won't catch me bemoaning the end of net neutrality. I'm that motherfucker on the timeline in your mentions asking the question, was the net ever, truly, neutral? I am reality made manifest. A grain of sand dripping through the hallways at Netflix and removing content you've come to depend on. I cannot fathom another realm. In fact, I wouldn't dare. This week's episode is sponsored by video messages from your family, cashiers who steal from their idiot bosses, Mark Cuban's obvious erectile dysfunction, the sinking of the bulk carrier SS Edmund Fitzgerald on Lake Superior on 10th November, 1975, and the closure of this year of our Lord, 2017. Our guest this week is Sarah Greenberger Rafferty let's turn it over to your host sean j patrick carney
2: i'm ira glass welcome to jackass it's episode 33 of the humor in the abject podcast i'm your host sean j patrick carney uh, many of you probably saw that we put out a little teaser this week, this past week, of the DSA podcast. That's Darcy, Sean, and Ezekiel. That's going to be available only via DRIP to our subscribers. So if you like that little snippet that you heard, sign up at the Humor in the Abject DRIP for five bones a month, and you'll be getting at least one or two of those every single month of the DSA cast, as well as future Humor in the Abject episodes that will be exclusive to DRIP subscribers. I will still, of course, put out a free episode for the public every single week, but if you want behind-the-scenes content and other things like that, please head over to the DRIP. Uh, My guest this week is the artist, educator, and all-around fantastic person, Sarah Greenberger-Rafferty. I met her years ago in Portland when I was a student at PNCA, and she did a very helpful studio visit with me. And she was also one of my guests in the original Humor in the Abject class at BHQFU in 2014, where this podcast and website gets its name. And I have been constantly bothering her for months with requests to come by to do an episode of this podcast. Really excited that we got to do this before the holidays. Um, Sarah does all kinds of different work in video and sculpture and photography. She's constantly somebody that's brought up when people are thinking about artists who work with elements of humor and stand-up comedy. Sarah's represented by Rachel Uffner Gallery here in New York, and she's been featured in the Whitney Biennial. She's been in exhibitions at MoMA PS1, The Kitchen, uh, and a million other venues. In 2015, I had the privilege of publishing her two-volume book set, Women Aren't Funny, which you'll hear a little bit about today. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Sarah Greenberger-Rafferty. Off record. Ooh, ooh, people. ooh! Yeah, Take yeah. me. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Sarah Greenberger Rafferty, welcome to Human the Abject. how How's your week going?
4: Oh, it's uh, last week of the semester, holiday party week. Yeah. Simultaneously.
2: Last week of the semester at.
4: Uh, currently at Pratt Institute.
2: At Pratt Institute, In Brooklyn. Yes, Clinton where, Hill. Where you are, you were recently named the the chair of photography. Is it that... incorrect? Incorrect. <laughs> um the something of photography
4: yeah i'm an associate professor of photography and director of graduate studies in photography cool yeah
2: is that hard since photography is not art (laughs)
4: yes (laughs) it makes me feel really like a second-class citizen and (laughs) i spend most of my days uh you know trolling online for people who are saying that painting is real art and
2: mm-hmm.
4: um, photography is fake.
2: There was this guy at PNCA one time who, um, we, you know this, you, you visited there a few times when I was there, but every student in the grad program had like a mentor, or like <laughs> a faculty member who yeah, was their mentor. Do. Yeah. And so you would get sort of paired up every semester when I was working for that program, I would try to figure out, you know, who would be a good fit. And there was this one teacher, who I wanted to pair up with this photographer, and I was like, "Yeah, he's coming in. He does this and this and this." And the guy was like, "Yeah, I mean, I'll do it for the money, but um, I just want you to know that photography is an art, so I'm not going to be a very good teacher for him, but I would like to do it." <laughs> I <was> like,
4: okay, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what the fuck, <laughs> I, I I hear not that overt type of you know just throwdown, but. I definitely hear
2: I thought the audacity of that was almost impressive that he I was like you well, we're not going to let you do it. I know. I'm not it. going to give you a check to do that. <laughs> <laughs>
4: um but it would almost be amazing if you did and it was like some sort of rom-com where you were going to make him fall in love with the Oh
2: yeah. Oh, that's a nice plot actually. Um
4: but I think yeah, I mean I've definitely heard people say like and by people, I mean like painters, I guess. Mm-hmm. Say like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't have any idea how to talk about photography, and I'm like, but you know how to talk about two dimensional things that mm-hmm. go on a wall, and mm-hmm. you live in a world in images, you know, like I mean, and maybe it's like a process based abstraction, sure, artist, but
2: I'm sure they've taken a photograph too. Most people have done that.
4: That's true. I mean, that's therein lies the kind of oh situation. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, but
2: everybody's made a painting, too. Everybody's smushed some stuff around with their fingers when they're a baby.
4: Oh, yeah, but that's not painting. That's the act of painting. That's oh. not the field of painting. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. like the act of photography and the field of photography.
2: Painting in the expanded field. I don't know what that means.
4: Yeah, it's just <laughs> art ed oh. jargon. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I feel pretty fluent in all manner of art. I feel like my eyes and my my brain are kind of trained to talk about whatever i don't i don't maybe it's just also my personality i would never want to be like i couldn't possibly talk about that
2: it does seem a little bit ridiculous to be a um to be a practicing artist and have an inability to even like offer some feedback about uh, another type of visual art that you don't make yourself yeah i feel like i could even i could talk about ceramics i would love to talk about ceramics
4: uh, well, welcome to the twenty seventeen art world.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sloppy ceramics are they still in?
4: Ceramics of all of all slops and non slops are in. Mm-hmm. It's a big. It's still. It continues to be a major trend.
2: I have a friend named Jason who lives in Philadelphia, and he runs. Oh goodness, I can't remember the name of the. It's like a really kind of well known ceramics studio, but he makes ceramics and i love it he makes the crazy shit it's really cool it's a i respect it highly i mean i could make fun of it really easily but yeah but you know that's because also people who do it make things that are useful yeah and that's you know
4: that offends artists yeah
2: that's rude yeah <laughs> or are you making an object that i can employ for something for yeah. a task
4: yeah it's just it's just very midwestern <laughs>
2: <laughs> do you have any big plans for the break
4: um I do, and those are mostly things that I can't talk about
2: publicly. That's perfectly fine.
4: Um, But um, mm, I I do. I have a big task ahead, and I also want to chill out.
2: How long of a break do you get? From school? Mm -hmm. I
4: get pretty much precisely one month. Nice. And it is really nice. And then for... Nine of those days, I'm going to go on vacation. Cool. So that's kind of an epic amount of time Yeah. for me.
2: That's nice to have a nine-day vacation in like uh, three weeks on either side of it total. Yes. It's very chill.
4: Yes. Yeah, I'm going... Um, to Cologne. Yeah, I'm going to Cologne. <laughs> I'm going to um, do Catholic right. Mass, and I i want to um be you're, very cold
2: yeah you're very cat if i remember you're very catholic yes yeah, it's my upbringing mm-hmm. um the green burger should have yeah well rafferty
4: could have <laughs> i could be catholic a lot of people think that my given name like as i was born was Greenberger rafferty yeah um they just because it's so unexpected that mm-hmm. someone would change their name from as a result of a marriage to a catholic man. So <clears throat> uh, that doesn't happen in our generation or my generation. Um but yeah, so Rafferty belongs to my husband Kyle and actually we did go to Montreal, a very cold, very catholic Ooh. uh foreign s- capital.
2: Very French.
4: It's very French, but um not too far from Cologne yeah. in terms of like <laughs> the vibe. I don't know. I've been to Cologne once for one day.
2: Do you have any um, Do you have any low-culture television that you'll be catching up on over the break?
4: Oh, i Anything
2: I'm, you're binging?
4: Well, see, that's the interesting thing. I work a lot, and I have a lot to do, but I always have time for my shows. Yeah, yeah. So I'm totally... My stories? Yeah, my stories. The one thing that I'm not fully caught up on is Mr. Robot.
2: Oh, I haven't and, seen it.
4: And I will... Oh, really? N- none of it? No. Oh, it's very good okay um the first season and the current season especially i like most i like a lot of shows that take place in new york Mm -hmm. it's just endlessly fascinating to me
2: you like to see places that you've been to
4: yeah or that i live Mm -hmm. um and the the one place that i live (laughs) and uh and but it's also you know it's like sort of about a an anonymous style hacker group um and mental illness and christian slater's in it and
2: and that man in the hoodie yes i've seen him on the wall at the subway
4: rami malik
2: rami malik yeah that's a cool name
4: yes he's um it's a good actor name i think he's egyptian american and he's quite handsome
2: Mm -hmm. he's a stunner
4: yeah he Does does christian
2: slater still look good yeah. He was sort of a heartthrob when I was younger.
4: Yes. He continues to be a heartthrob. However, I mean, I think it's still more easy for older men to be heartthrobs than it is for older women. But that is it's true. still yeah. like an ageist situation. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, Christian Slater doesn't like act like a heartthrob in this show.
2: He doesn't do his sort of like Jack Nicholson-y no. thing anymore.
4: No, he's like, wears glasses and wears like a Carhartt style Mm. jacket because he's supposed to be, um, well, I don't want to spoil it, but he, he, he's supposed to work in the, in the like 90s at a computer repair shop.
2: Oh, he's like an IT guy.
4: He's like a, an IT guy. Yeah. He's a
2: geek squad.
4: He is like an, an artisanal geek squad. Oh, cool. Mr. Robot. All
2: right. I'm going to check it. I, I trust your judgment and I need... I need more shows. I just finished uh, this ridiculous show called Longmire. It's okay, about a, a sheriff in Absaroka County, Washington. Oh, Wyoming, sorry, not Washington. I
4: think I've heard of that.
2: Lou Diamond Phillips, isn't it? Mm-hmm. LDP. Yeah, that's uh,
4: another blast from the teenage past. Yeah,
2: yeah. The is uh, Mr. Robot a Netflix joint or is it a TV show that happens to be streaming? On oh no, it's the USA. Internet.
4: Characters welcome.
2: Whoa, USA. I forgot about them. Do you remember they used to have those claymation? Uh, commercials that were like after these messages will be right back and their heads would roll off and change and they were like little cheers oh cartoons. I mean I
4: remember that from NBC what but NBC Universal owns USA as far as I know oh okay and um, a lot of people do know this I didn't have cable as a child so I have none of the references except for network television
2: oh like CBS and NBC and mm-hmm. Fox. Fox PBS
4: yeah I mean Fox was like my lifeblood because that was kind of invented when I was a child and it was like the only thing that had anything interesting
2: it had some sassy programming yes
4: which my parents found so offensive my dad was like I can't believe you watch married with children and the Simpsons where the where the family hates each other oh yeah and are mean to it where the dad is mean (laughs) really didn't like that. I
2: want to get to Married with Children in a little bit because I want to talk about your book. But uh, right off the top, I wanted to ask about, because when people talk about artists who kind of use strategies of comedy and things like that in their work, I feel like you're one of the people that comes up a lot of the time. And I'm curious when that, um, if was television where that fascination started, um, how did you kind of get hooked on being interested in comedy? And when did you start putting it in your work? Because it's not that your work is necessarily like meant to be LOL, haha, or something no. at all, but there are these strategies incorporated. I'm just curious kind of what, how that process happened.
4: Yeah. I mean, television was a huge part of it. Television and movies, um, a huge part of my, I guess, content diet as a child. I, Ooh, I, like I, I read a lot, um, but I watched a lot of television. Um, And I oriented my sort of life around watching shows or I would stay up really late watching um, shows from the 70s because I was a child in the 80s. Um, And on network television, there was a lot of things in syndication. So I was perennially a little bit behind the times. Like even when MTV was was, um, the thing that most kids my age were watching, um, I was watching like Three's Company reruns Mm -hmm. and um, I Love Lucy and because, like I said, didn't have cable. Um, But so I think it's coming from television and it's also, um, you know, I think it's an appropriate time to talk about how uh, comedy or the affect of being funny is something that is, for me, became legible as part of like, the patriarchal society. Um, I guess early on, I really realized the currency of making people laugh and mm-hmm. the currency of of being funny. Whether it was like in the in the realm of the class clown or in the realm of just kind of relating and making friends, uh, I I realized that that was. That was like, yeah, it was like a kind of currency. And it was really easy for me to um, attempt to engage with people on that level. Yeah, um, And then I think as I got older, adolescence, I understood that it was a kind of a male trait. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, you know, that's confusing and it's a little bit annoying when you're you know, a young woman. Um, but yeah, like I remember, so I watched a lot of Saturday night live and, um, so that's obviously Saturday night. And then I went to Sunday school, not Catholic Sunday school, but, um, I went to, uh, what was called religious school, but it was on Sundays out of convenience for the, um, for, you know, since most of the community went to Sunday school, Mm -hmm. Christian Sunday school. So, um, I went to Jewish Sunday school, reform. So it wasn't that strict having to happen on Saturday. And, um, and I remember I really didn't relate to many of the girls that, um, were in my class, my Sunday school class, but I really related to the boys and the way that we, I guess, socialized was recounting what we saw and playing out what we saw on, um, Saturday Night Live the Mm -hmm. night before. So that's, I guess, my memory, my early memory of caring about it and also having it kind of cleaved into this awareness of gender identity and gender affect. Um, And then, you know, cut to... um, I was collecting comedy records and I was always really interested in stand-up and I just sort of was thinking about... I actually... in. 2002, I read this book about food kind of randomly. um, And there was a whole chapter on Dick Gregory, who was a a 1950s, 1960s era stand up comedian who also was a major activist. He just passed away this year and he uh, ran for president. um, And he had, um, you know, he wrote a lot of books. He had been a kind of an athlete and he grew up, I think in St. Louis, um, and pretty poor. And he through, you know, athletics and, and comedy kind of, um, got this platform. Um, anyway, there was this chapter in this book about food, about, um, the book was called, what was it called? Black hunger. Um, and it talked about dick gregory who you know was a comedian and then went on kind of a crusade um for whole foods against like soul food it's too like elaborate to get into Uh but it sounds complicated it's very complicated it's very interesting (laughs) you know uh hardcover only some someone's uh It was someone's PhD thesis that I randomly got. It was probably like in the early days of Amazon that I like found this book or maybe I got it at the library. I can't remember. Um, At any rate, I started to think about how there was a relationship between um, stand up and being able to make things digestible, um, relatable or uh, entertaining that are really like issues that are important to you. So it was these twin things thinking about doing something that had a, a total identification with maleness. Um, and also an interest in making work that might be about being alienated, but not be alienating. I think ultimately I do feel kind of too Midwestern to make, Artwork that isn't a little bit um, relatable. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to say it. No, I, way, but...
2: it's a. I, that's funny. I've tried to talk to anybody, anybody who grew up in the Midwest. I immediately want to ask them if there's a Midwest sense of humor and what that means, yeah, and how they're sort of deploying it. And I think. Actually, you, there was some guy asking you and me about that at a show at Safe Gallery, right? Oh or you yeah. Sort of passed him off on me. I felt yeah. Like. He was like <laughs> a he was like a Danish dude or something. And oh was, yeah. And he was like, yeah, what is the Midwest comedy? Oh
1: <laughs> <was>
4: yeah, like, <laughs> we were outside on the street.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but I think I mean I asked uh, like Michael Smith that he grew up in yeah. Chicago and things, and I, I I think I've been trying to get at it. A little bit because I think it's um, pretty distinct from like a West Coast or an East Coast, which is sort of a a very thinky kind of sense of humor. Um, And then Midwest is, uh, I don't know if it's inherited from people's parents, but it seems a little bit more like blue collar and a little bit late. um, Yeah. In that it it takes pop culture time, not so much anymore, but did take time to trickle into the Midwest. Mm -hmm. So like very much you're watching even just television shows that are 10 years too late or something. It's like all of the hyper pop culture referential things were like a little bit late in, yeah. uh, I think, reaching the Midwest and stuff like that. But there's, but it also comes with a type of kind of genuineness or having to figure out a, a way to be funny that, like you said, isn't alienating. Um, yeah. It's almost like I, I like that work about being alienated that isn't alienating or something like even while you're kind of – poking at somebody, um, you're also kind of ingratiating yourself to them to bring them in or like be, I, I think a lot about this book that what is it called Stand Up comedy and theory or objection. Oh, yeah, John Lyman. Yeah. yeah. And I think Kristen Kennedy gave me that or something once, but there's a thing about Lenny Bruce in the first chapter and you know, I haven't read the book in a really long time, but I just, one thing stuck with me and that was this idea of, um, like this uh, audience is your child, but audience is your parent. At the Mm -hmm. same time, like you want to, like as a comedian, you want to say like, hey, fuck you and rebel against them. While at the same time, you kind of are nurturing and you want to teach. And I've always thought that that was so parallel to making objects or artwork. Yeah, totally.
4: Yeah, no, that's interesting. I just got this flash because um, when I was at Amherst College, I invited John Lyman to do this, to, to have a conversation with me. And we talked about it and... Um the thing that we were talking about, particularly with that Lenny Bruce chapter was and the, the child parent thing is um he there's in uh I think it's the record it has two different names, but one of them is um two is a verb, come as a prep preposition or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um but he but Lenny Bruce says like right off the bat he goes like i want to piss on you
2: oh yeah it's like hey stop me if you've heard this one yeah he's like i want to piss on you
4: and then john lyman's like yeah the only person that can piss on me and i'll smile is my child (laughs) and he goes through this whole thing and then there's like and then he played and i was i was like this was in 2010 and he was like oh i'd like to play this track from ellen degeneres and i was like okay (laughs) And so I had to order the CD of Ellen DeGeneres because I couldn't find it online. Uh And she, you know, what do you know? She has a kind of like Lenny Bruce-esque, like, I can't even remember the joke, but um, kind of, I don't know if it's like a golden shower or just like a Mm -hmm. being pissed on joke. But anyway, that is a callback to our pre-recording Joke about me taking this microphone into the bathroom. Oh yeah,
2: going in and having a piss while yeah. while on the mic. So maybe we should try. <laughs> that'll be the that'll be the abject
4: Dakota. Yeah. Um, but sorry, did that answer your question? Yes.
2: And it. It's, oh, but
4: midwestern human humor. The other thing I wanted to say about yeah. that, I feel like Chris Farley is the mm-hmm. the main example, like the dictionary definition of that.
2: I went to high school with a lot of Chris Farleys. Oh, <laughs> almost like yeah, that's very. That's very true. Wait, is he, where is he from? Is he a Chicago He's from person? Wisconsin. Wisconsin, okay. Madison, I believe. Oh, that makes sense. I just assumed because I thought he was so funny that he must be Canadian. He's and that nearly like, Canadian. Yeah. And that we, Secretly can, Canadian? Yeah, that's a the record label. Yeah, that the Midwest couldn't actually have him. Um, no, that's, that's really funny. And I, I had no idea that you brought uh, John Lyman to come and talk in class. I emailed him one time and I found his, I think he, he teaches somewhere. He teaches so at I, Williams. Yeah, so I found his email address that way and sent him a thing. And he, he wasn't uh, actually in town when I wanted him to come by this class. But he said something like, you're the only person who ever read that book. And I was like, and now yeah. you're telling me, like, he's just... He's, that's a shtick. Yeah. Oh, come on, buddy. All right, that's fine.
4: Um, um <laughs> No, but he he's... um. <laughs> If anybody wants that
2: book, I have a legal copy of it that I can send you in PDF, so just email me. Um, But buy it. Support the arts.
4: Yeah. (laughs) Support the...
2: um... (laughs) Support the publishing residuals.
4: Yeah. What are they? The academics? I mean, yeah, yeah, I think I'd be happy for John Lyman to get residuals, but I also believe that Williams College pays pretty well.
2: Sure. I'm sure he's fine. Yeah.
4: (laughs) But he was wonderful when he came. and. (sighs) he was pretty funny.
2: There is still no
0: trace of survivors in the Great Lakes freighter Edmund Fitzgerald, which capsized in Lake Superior last night. From Thunder Bay, Jim and We don't know whether the 729-foot ore carrier, the Edmund Fitzgerald, broke in half, capsized, or nosedived into Lake Superior. But its disappearance last night was sudden. It wasn't even a mayday, or even an SOS. It was on radar surveillance for 10 minutes by an accompanying boat, but about 7.30 last night it vanished. Winds were gusting up to 80 miles an hour, and waves were swelling to 25 and 40 feet on the lake. The Edmund Fitzgerald is at the bottom, and there's no doubt about that. The search helicopters have already found considerable debris. Lieutenant William Holtz of the U.S. Coast Guard Base in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, says the vessel has been officially declared lost. While the search is continuing, uh, we have a number of British vessels in the area assisting us in collecting debris. Uh, two life rafts and uh, two lifeboats and a number of life jackets have been positively
3: identified as coming from the Fitzgerald. The Coast Guard cutter Naugatuck is currently in the area assisting in the collection of debris.
0: What type of conditions this afternoon? The winds are. They're about 12, 18 miles an hour, and the seas are approximately 3 to 4 feet, and there's been no sign of life. No, we have not received any sign of uh, survivors or any other life. The vessel owned by the Ogle Bay Norton Company of Cleveland, Ohio, was captained by Ernest McSorley, the shipping company's senior captain. Twenty-nine crew members are missing, and an official of the company says he has no knowledge of a report that there may have been five women on board, wives of the crew members. The vessel left Duluth, Minnesota, Sunday afternoon, carrying 26,000 tons of saconite iron ore pellets for Detroit. Another ore carrier, the Arthur M. Anderson, was 10 miles behind the Edmund Fitzgerald. It weathered the storm on the lake, and it watched the other boat disappear off radar. This captain isn't talking today. He's in seclusion at the United States Steel Building in St. Marie, Michigan. Jim Seminac, CBC News, Thunder Bay.
2: Um, I'm curious if so as you're kind of exploring this stuff and incorporating these things into the work is there anything that now as uh, you know an established artist kind of looking back on some <laughs> early things and, sorry I just left would you prefer that I call you an emerging artist I don't know as, yeah like I don't a, know as a I just hate I, I do not want to say a professional artist because I don't think being an artist is a profession but um, I think it's a I think it's a really cool hobby.
4: You can just say like twenty years in.
2: Okay, now that you've got some uh, career under your belt, yeah, how's that? Uh, just is there anything that you look back on, or when you were trying to incorporate particular types of humor or comedy, that now you just kind of think like, my God, or like that just was not an effective way to do something. Um,
4: well, I think it's like everything. Like the the context changes around you. It's it's the same thing with, um, you know the the excuse of um you know well this you know Roy Moore this was the 70s and and oh. any parent would be really happy for a 34 year old to hang out with their 16 year old which is questionable but just this idea of changing norms
1: uh-huh. um
4: i think that i think that affects art ma- i mean art making and being a person in the world in general so i wouldn't say I necessarily even sweat. uh, Oh, that didn't work in the past. I think I'm just constantly like recalibrating. Um, I mean, one thing that's been really difficult when you think about the humor part and not the abject part, um, in the past year, you know, everything that was a joke Mm -hmm. has now become... Like, total tragedy. So, yeah. you know, there's the the Karl Marx quote that something's first as as tragedy, then as farce, which I've been saying for the past year. You know, now it's first as farce, then as tragedy. Yeah. And so, who's laughing now, you know? No,
2: it's fair. I mean, I still, I feel ridiculous. I don't know how to open an email. I, not, I know how to read an email. I, I don't know how to create an opening to an email right. if it's not in the middle of a chain already. Like, yeah. I feel ridiculous being like, hey, how are you? Hope, You're just like... <laughs> hope things are well and that, you know, your body isn't under constant threat every time that you leave the house. Yeah. It's... it's yeah, it, it makes it... Um, I don't know. And I got pretty annoyed when people were like, this is going to breed great comedy and satire and art and all these things. And it's just sort of like, this is more serious not than... Not the point. This yeah. is very, like, yeah. It it It's hard to... It's hard to do anything topical, I think, that doesn't... And and that's part of why I think I was maybe asking the question. I wasn't thinking it through, but um, with humor and things like that, because so often it's relatively referential to the time and context Mm -hmm. in which, like, that's when it's funny or something. And so sometimes those things feel dated or whatever. Like, I think about work that I made 10 years ago, and I'm just like, I was a fucking edgelord. (laughs) Like, I was just being, like, a shitty... But, like, whatever. Like, yeah, it was, like it was a different context and I'm not Roy Moore, but I just mean like, I'm looking at it and just being like, Oh no, I'm a much, I feel like oh, I'm no, just a more are, mature you're, person. You're, than,
4: Ro- you're Roy Moore. <laughs> but, Friend.
2: <laughs> but I think, friend-o. That, <laughs> been friendo. But I feel like there's uh, part of something that's interesting is that a lot of humor that I've been responding to, I think in the last year veers more towards just kind of um, like what might be called like a victimless crime um that it's more absurdist than Mm -hmm. particularly like pointed pointed in that i like what the fuck are you going to say about donald trump that i'm going to be like nice burn like with the you can't what do you make it's like the juggalos like you can't make fun of juggalos they're clowns already
4: (laughs) didn't you go and shadow them
2: yeah no i went to the uh march it It was incredible i loved it they were inspiring i was like really moved (laughs) it was a really cool experience um but yeah i don't know and i that's It's I think it's there's some crisis in uh, humor right now um, because it's and I think also maybe people are sort of getting to the point where they're understanding that, you know, watching The Daily Show and laughing like isn't protest. No. You know, like that show and I'm, i didn't make this up tons of people have written about this but like the daily show normalized george w bush's war crimes to like a great degree by turning him into this sort of like country bumpkin who we could all laugh at and we knew he was going to go away or something and
4: it there that's true same thing about laughing about donald trump but what is also true is like in some moments you just have to remind yourself that these people are truly stupid (laughs) and evil and laugh about it it's yeah because otherwise you might go crazy i think being so i mean i don't know what the answer is because it's very very confusing the the degree to which anything can seem normal right now yeah um
2: I feel like MK Guth, whom we both know, once said something to me about, I I was having a rough time trying to be like, I want to make art that's funny or something, but I was having a lot of trouble because I was like, am I only exacerbating these, you know, problematic things that I'm whatever, and uh, whatever. Long story short, she said something to the effect of like, you know, the way that you have to think about it sometimes is that while um, these, while what you're talking about isn't funny, the institutions that uphold these types of things at times are simply laughable yeah exactly if that makes sense like you just it's a, a almost a desperate like a hysteria instead of like hysterical or well something. yes
4: and i think it's i i feel like uh someone like trump or any of these other assholes like feel more threatened if you laugh at them than if you even pull a gun at them
2: sure he's he's got some thin fucking orange skin to say the least it's
4: guy's a turd it's a piece of, of shit
2: it's profound how um much i mean i i don't respond to people on twitter who say shitty things to me about something that i tweet and he will like he will get worked up about somebody saying something to him it's it's fantastic i guess in one way but also just that level of an inability to be able to be like oh well fuck that person and not take something and <laughs> get upset about it. It's like. <laughs>
4: I'll go on record saying he just needs to go away. <laughs>
2: Anyway, so you had a couple of big shows this year. Oh, yeah. Wait, I just, I just, po- <laughs>
1: something
4: else popped into my brain. What's that? You asked me about television. I also want to recommend this show called The Good Place.
2: Oh, I saw that on the plane.
4: Did you watch the, well, you watched like one episode?
2: No, it started, it was like what I could watch for free oh, right. on Southwest when I was flying back from Austin, but it started, I want to say it was like episodes four through like six or on something. On season one. Or seven. Of, yeah, of season one. And so it took me a minute because I was like, what the fuck fuck is is this show about? And then, but it's pretty interesting. It gets
4: funnier, but you kind of have to watch it from the beginning. But it is, I mean, first of all, Ted Danson. Mm. um, But it's a real ensemble cast. It's absurd. It's not, it's semi-based in our reality. Like they make funny pop culture jokes um, under the guise of this person who's like not a human trying to understand human culture. Um, But... It's just so funny.
2: It has a lot of younger people who I like learned about online as writers. And yeah, stuff like Megan it, Omron, cool. who, yeah, yeah, who, yeah. who I
4: always love following on Twitter. And she I, th- I knew I was like, oh, I think this person writes for Parks and Rec, but she writes for The Good Place and she gets credit very, very often. And she's very, very funny.
2: Yeah. And Ted Danson, you know, nothing but respect for my president. He's, <laughs> he's wonderful. I'm glad that he came back.
4: Oh, he's so great on television.
2: He uh, he was... I really liked him in Bored to Death, I thought. He was he great was... in Bored to Death.
4: He was even good in in uh, Damages. Haven't seen it. I mean, I watch a lot of TV. Yeah. I could tell you about <laughs> a lot of different shows. But sorry, you were asking me about my shows. Oh,
2: yeah. You did... so. Uh, Gloves Off was the name of the show, right? And it was at it was in SUNY and Albany. It was
4: in it did the SUNY tour. The SUNY tour of the U.S. Okay, New York. Um, It (laughs) it started in New Paltz. Okay, last February, this past February, Um, and then it went to Albany Mm -hmm. uh, in June, July, August, and then it went to. Stony Brook on Long Island,
2: Long Island
4: Long Island, back to my old stomping ground, where I used to teach and um yeah, it's today's the fifteenth of December. It's coming down on the seventeenth of December, and back to the studio
2: that's on Sunday, yeah, that's when this episode will come out, oh, so great. if you're listening, closing episode too fucking bad, yeah, you missed it,
4: <laughs> um, but there is a catalog. Yeah. Um, which is I think pretty nice. It came out pretty good.
2: It was a I didn't get to see this show, but it it was a lot of work, right? I mean yes. it's it one of the things that I was reading about it just said like and I thought the language was sort of funny, but it basically said it was like the first sort of comprehensive ish like survey of your work or something, um, that had happened in the States. Uh because obviously you've had solo shows at Rachel Uffner and you yeah. you have no shortage of work that's been out in the world. But what's different about is it like a is it like a retro a rafferty <laughs> It
4: it's a it's not i wouldn't say it's like a full retrospective but it's definitely a survey of work over the past more than 10 years okay and it's just sort of selected by the curator andrew engel from whatever was kind of it was a matrix of um the work that i had made and the work that would be reasonably accommodated shipping in new york okay so you know these kinds of things so it's it wasn't entirely work that i still own there were a few loans but the loans were minimal because it had to be really easy within the tri-state area
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and the tri-states are new york new jersey and and connecticut Connecticut.
4: those are the tries yeah all right good i know it can be confusing
2: yeah yesterday i tweeted that connecticut is the park slope of connecticut and then <laughs> i was like you should i need to stop drinking beer right now like, i should have
4: um, but uh, i have to think about that for a little it, i mean it's it it's made viscer- a lot yeah, it made a
2: lot of sense to me in it's the
4: reflexively moment. funny but i don't know well, it's what it means yeah i
2: think it's not funny is the problem <laughs> 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 but the uh, so that was that had a lot of different types of working had sculpture it yeah had video yeah and like photo ones i mean what do you if you I guess you probably don't think of yourself as a specific type of artist.
4: Just a medium scale artist. Medium scale? So uh-huh. that's like
2: stuff that I could fit in my house. Yeah. Okay. No.
4: I mean, uh yeah, just not like tiny or small scale, but and not like monumental or large scale. Okay. I mean, that's kind of my like fuck you answer that I tell people <laughs> well, when, when Well
2: fuck me. Yeah.
4: Um that I tell people when they're like, "What kind of artist are you?" because
3: you say I'm, I'm, so a, deeply, say I'm um, a woman artist.
4: Yeah, a female artist. And I just read that we get paid 48 cents on the dollar for our work.
2: Somebody call wage.
4: Yeah, wage. Get me some more money. <laughs>
2: uh, no, they're doing good work. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to make fun no, of them. I love wage. <laughs> <laughs> um, what uh, What were some of the works in it? Like, What uh, are we talking about here?
4: Um, lots of things on Plexi. We had a ton of... What I made called props, which were like printed plexiglass cutout shape things that are kind of like comedians props and also semi uh, ominous like handcuffs and guns and but also like pies in the face and things like that. Um, Some photographs. um, Like you said, a video in the Albany Albany exhibition I, I had a special installation called the Gloves Off Reader, which was basically this room that had these like overly printed vinyls and had a lot of books and I was screwing the books to the wall and um yeah, I mean a lot of the work that is newer that I've been working on has been as a result of my Smithsonian Artist Research Fellowship, which I did in the summer of twenty sixteen. What
2: is that?
4: It's a fellowship that the Smithsonian offers to artists who can somehow figure out how to get that fellowship. Um, it, it, it's mostly by nomination, um, but once you're nominated, you have to um, find a curator in the vast uh, museums of the Smithsonian who will work with you, who will kind mm. of sponsor you, and then you, you apply. Um, and I had been trying to do it for a long time, and then finally... My friend Shauna Luker uh, nominated me uh, because I asked her, "Can you please nominate me? I really want to do this." And um, it was really, really helpful. I got it, um, and I I worked with this curator who has since retired um, on the primarily on the Phyllis Diller joke file. Okay, so you don't have to do research like um like a historian or a or you know a curator you do research in your own way as an artist and you can make what you want out of your research. That's cool. Um,
2: and you put that curator out of business. Is there Swan Song helping you?
4: Yeah. Well, he, he was already, he, he retired in the time between he, between him agreeing to sponsor me and the time that the fellowship actually happened. Cause you know, these things take a while to get incubated, but he was coming in one day a week and he, he was able to still sponsor me with a kind of a co-sponsor of his department head. Um, And I was just kind of left alone in the archives. Cool. Um, It was cool. It's a very interesting place, Washington, Mm D.C.
2: It's fine. Yeah. That's my review of it. Yeah. (laughs) It's a city. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. It feels like one in parts of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just kidding. I went there a little while ago. I did have fun, but. It's, there's really
4: good food in dc i
2: had amazing ethiopian food a couple times so there was yeah. really really good ethiopian food.
4: but it's very weird when the main culture and the main
2: is the people we hate
4: <laughs> the people we hate but it's like government is the main uh business
2: everyone there's a wonk
4: yeah
2: oh I was there over halloween and all the little wonks were like lined up around the blocks so at like 4 p.m on saturday and they're shitty Halloween costumes trying to get into these bars that were probably as big as my house, you know, and there's 300 people trying to get into it. And I'm just like, the stress level of watching people wait in line like that. And then I kept thinking about once you got in, trying to get a drink, (laughs) I would be so mad i'd be in such a bad mood yeah i don't I'd know why ab-
4: people wait in lines i
2: don't know but anyway so the smithsonian do, do so some of the research that you did there fed into this show
4: yeah it, it's feeding into it fed into the video it fed into the reader um and it's feeding into the work that i'm kind of making now but i wanted to just pause for a minute and think about washington dc uh-huh. halloween <laughs> because did you know and i think this is very very crucial for your listeners to know that Donald Trump Jr. dressed up as Donald Trump for Halloween 2017. That's
2: real Freudian. That is just dress up sit like Daddy. With
4: that just sit with that. Oh, man. I mean, if you can't at least laugh at that,
2: do you remember? <laughs> did you see Freddie got fingered?
4: No, I never watched that.
2: <laughs> well there's a partner where tom green it's tom green right he's talking yeah. to his dad who's played by rip torn uh-huh. and he's about to tom green is about to move to drive to move to los angeles to work in a cheese sandwich factory and <laughs> and he's telling his dad you know rip Torn's like you make your daddy proud and he's like i'm gonna make you so proud daddy." And he's like make your daddy proud he's like, i'm <laughs> gonna make you proud daddy and it's just really uncomfortable and gross but why would you dress up like your dad ever I'm sorry
4: because your, dad- <laughs> you so your dad is the president the legitimate president that's
2: weird i man i guess i would dress up like my dad like to fuck with him
4: yeah i mean
2: maybe i'll do that it <laughs> um maybe i'll do that for
4: halloween 2018
2: yeah or christmas this year maybe i'll just show up as my dad i'll i'll go full uh, so
4: tell me what's your dad costume entail?
2: it would probably just He looks a lot like me. It wouldn't be super hard. I would probably wear um, like some pants from Cabela's or L.L. Bean that are cargo pants, but also zip off Mm -hmm. to become shorts. Shorts. Mm He usually wears like a plaid button-up shirt and maybe like a fleece vest uh, that zips up. I'm getting a picture. And he wears these uh, hats. Not so much anymore, but when I was younger, he had hats that were kind of like the ones that the boy in the sandlot wears and gets made fun of the bill was really long (laughs) he had those um and then he usually wears like adidas sambas or like chuck taylor's so it wouldn't be like a huge leap for me to do it although he he lets his hair on the side of his head grow out which is very much like a baby boomer bald guy thing to do oh
4: like bozo the clown yeah
2: yeah he just and he like you know he combs it and stuff like that but um he just kind of wears it loud and proud which i definitely respect like he goes to the barber and he gets his hair cut which i'm just like i gave up on yeah
1: that's old five
2: years ago i just shaved my head i'm just like well eventually i'm eventually not gonna have hair so (laughs) i might as well get everybody used to it now but i feel like that's a real those are real dad hours like growing out the sides of your hair and he doesn't even work in academia
4: (laughs) where what does your dad do
2: uh he's a retired social worker
4: oh that's pretty good
2: yeah he got his contractor's license that was his dream so now he just builds stuff
4: he's like no one better fucking talk to me or tell me about their problems
2: yeah well he yeah he was i think he was a good social worker but it made it made for an interesting um he worked in schools with uh mostly with like teens and stuff who had developmental and uh disabilities and like emotional issues and things like that but it made getting in trouble very complicated having a father as a social worker because i was never yelled at once wait really it was more like a it was a psychological like i'm thing. disappointed in you yeah but in a way that was like i really he, you know it was just like i was like fuck me god damn it like i would just bum him out
4: yeah that sounds about right but... and like i
2: didn't want to bum him out you know yeah so but yeah he he never like yelled at me or anything sometimes when when he was my soccer coach well he yelled at me during soccer practice because oh, okay. i was out of fucking control i could not <laughs> stop making him upset i was obsessed with it it was like so on was, purpose oh yeah well it was maybe like what you're saying earlier like it was a way to i felt like i needed to relate to all these guys that were on my soccer team yeah and i felt like a dork because my dad was the coach even though i also kind of liked that my like i was like i have a good dad he wants to be the coach like yeah. that was kind of cool but i was a teenager so i was shitty about it you know yeah. <laughs> and so i had to like get a rise out of him to make all the other boys impressed right um Oh my God. That just reminds me. I don't know. This has nothing to do with anything, but one time there was this guy named Justin Augustine who was on our team and Justin had uh, a little porn collection that he kept in the bottom of his uh, soccer bag. Oh, like,
4: see, these are the things you don't know as a girl. You never find
2: that out. He had, and he would bring it to practice and like show it to people. And uh, soccer bags have like a false bottom. Um, oh, they, they have they,
4: like the, the piece like of cardboard, cardboard wrapped, wrapped in vinyl. vinyl. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. So it's like a false bottom, right? You know, just like you're shipping cocaine. Oh my God. I totally
4: know what you're talking. And he
2: would come to with like his lotto brand bag or whatever, you know, and he would come to soccer practice and he'd sort of show these things to us. And there are these other two guys, John Zimmerman and Ben Peel, and the three of us John Zimmerman, everybody called him (laughs) Jizerman. Teenage boys. Uh, Ben Peel was Yoda, and my nickname was Tuna. And the three of us. How did you get Tuna? I don't fucking know, but it's just dumb. I probably thought it was like gross and sounded nasty, like. But so the three of us, when we got together, like the Power Rangers would form like a Megazord thing or whatever they were called. We would form the Jizz Yodunazord, which we would just get into trouble and do bad things. so gross. I know. And one time uh, during practice, we snuck away and we took all of uh, Justin Augustine's porno mags out of his bag and hid them somewhere else and left a note that I perfectly mimicked my dad's handwriting with (laughs) that said, Justin, like, I found your stash. We need to talk after practice. And so we let him go and turn himself into my dad um, when my dad, A, wouldn't have cared. Uh, oh, but... I thought
4: you were going to say he killed himself. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck.
2: I don't know. I mean, we're not friends on Facebook, so he could be dead. He could be dead. I hope he's it not. It sounds
4: like you're a bully.
2: No, this wasn't bully behavior. No. He was cool. He was like really, he was much cooler than us. Like, okay. he was a cool kid on the team and he had porn, and we were just like, let's take his porn and make him tell my dad. And so he went and told on himself. But my dad was like, I don't have your porn magazines, Justin. And he was like, there's a note from you. And he's like, there is not. <laughs> he was just thoroughly confused. It was pretty cool.
4: Uh, that reminds me.
2: That has nothing to do with anything. But
4: no, but I could tell you. <laughs> It just is putting me now. I'm like thoroughly stuck in childhood from this conversation. But
2: uh, I liked that's where I like people to feel like they are stuck. I was also
4: really into pranks, and me and my best friend Giovanna Feldman, half uh, Italian, half Jewish. If Mm -hmm. you couldn't tell, Um, (laughs) we were really into playing pranks on people and prank phone calls and all this kind of thing. Um, But we decided our freshman year the best prank. Would be to tell our parents that we tried to go to finals, but they wouldn't let us in because we didn't have a sharpened pencil. <laughs> <What>? and <laughs> And so I left this message on my mom's voicemail. While well, yeah, well, I mean? she was at work, yeah. While she was at work, yeah. She was also a social worker, so <laughs> she could rarely pick up the phone, but lots of messages. Hmm. Um, and so I was like. Mom, I'm really, really upset I didn't get to take my finals because the teacher was like, you should have been Would you here. call her
2: from a pay phone, or did you go in the office at school?
4: Um, I probably called her from a pay phone. <laughs> it was either that or I had gone after the final back to my friend's house. Uh, I can't remember. But, sure, I made tons of phone calls from the pay phone.
1: Yeah.
4: And... We had this whole elaborate thing that our advisor said and we were mimicking our advisor and but jokes on me because my mom before speaking with me called my advisor and was like, How dare you not let my child take her final examinations? (laughs) And my advisor was like your daughter's a freak. what a i hate what her. an
2: insane thing i to hate her about.
4: but i did not stop her
3: from taking could
2: her. you imagine yeah being that teacher and just being like what what do you what do you mean she called you like why why is that a thing that your child did <laughs> <laughs> that's cool yeah oh, man. remember dears first impressions are the most important She's tucked. She's tired. remember you're in england land of good manners
1: Toodles. It's snowing. Oh! <laughs> Shit.
0: You all right? The fuck. get the
1: fucking You all right? Look at the camera.
3: The scorpion's captured me and placed me in a small leather cage. They interrogated my butt sack, leaving no room for error. Clearly, I thought to myself, they meant business. The Scorpion King visited me on my second day of captivity and proudly presented his boner. Knowing the cultural importance of this gesture within the Scorpion Kingdom, I genuflected and offered words of admiration. His boner spoke. Now I am become deaf. The destroyer of worlds, it said to me through its pee hole, which was also its mouth. Outside, the desert wind howled and I felt the rumblings below the earth of 1,000 screaming souls. Casualties of the Great Scorpion Boner War of 2003. It all began, you'll remember, when small business owners began to surveil their employees. Convinced that the employees were stealing from their registers, the small business owners plotted to resurrect and re-sink the Edmund Fitzgerald in an attempt to end net neutrality. The Scorpions, knowing full well the physical inadequacies, bedroom-wise, of all small business owners, declared war. They built Scorpion Boner tanks and Scorpion Boner battleships. We were surrounded. It is only now, from my leather cage that I fully understand the empathy the Scorpions had for us, despite enacting a theater of war. As the Scorpion King returned his boner to his satchel, I wept openly. The other Scorpions moaned in tribute. We had become one entity. A blooming flower made of veins and flesh. Never again would the realm of mankind control my libido. As I drifted off to sleep, I felt a firm exoskeleton forming around my body and extra legs sprouting. Would I awake with my own scorpion boner? Only time could untangle that unholy riddle. But deep inside the scorpion kingdom, confined to my leather cage, time was something I had.
2: prank phone calls. I feel like they're. It's hard to ethically do a prank phone call. Like now, as an adult, I can't think of a lot of. Unless I call, unless I got somebody famous's phone number, mm-hmm. like that would be a different thing. But,
4: uh, did you ever listen to like Earls and Jensen just for a laugh?
2: No, I don't know what that is.
4: Um, so it's this comedian duo that did these um, these prank calls. It was put out on Matador like ten years ago, maybe. Okay, it's a two. Disc (laughs) set. I'm sure you can download it. Um, And it's incredibly funny prank phone calls that basically they make up characters and they're making jokes on themselves. Uh Um, And it's mostly really funny. Like I'm going to butcher this, but one of the ones would be like, yeah, hello. I saw your, uh, I saw your ad for mid century antiques. And the woman's like, oh yeah, what you got, what you got. And he's like, uh, I got a VHS set of Friends, like you know, saying like mid or turn of the century, like turn of two thousand, uh-huh, and yeah, yeah. and and he's just he's like, I've got a, I have a an inta- shirt, yeah, I have an intact box of like Arby's frozen burgers,
2: <laughs> <laughs> unopened. Okay, so they're pretty. They're not like violent. No, of, yeah. it's
4: not like Jerky Boys.
2: Yeah, no, those are those did not age well.
4: No. But at the time... Yeah.
2: No, I thought they were fucking hilarious when yeah. I was a kid. But then I listen to them now and I'm just like, Jesus! I know. Wow. There's this one guy, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but Longmount Potion Castle. Have you ever heard those? No. He's like, no one knows who it is. It's like this guy who's like somehow like music adjacent, but nobody knows his identity.
1: Oh,
0: and someone he, knows.
2: And he, yeah, of course. <laughs> it, and uh he's gotten like Alex Trebek's phone number. Or like Ric Flair or these other people and he calls them and he has all of these like effects pedals and stuff going and he just like will tell Alex Trebek that there's like, you know, uh, a shipment. He's calling from UPS and there's a shipment of like 6,000 pounds of like Uzbek dirt coming to his house and like he, he needs to be there to sign for it. Oh yeah, that Al- was a
4: big prank that I did when I was... 11.
2: The, what, things arriving at the house and you need to be home? Yeah,
4: I remember <laughs> it, we. it was condors. We always said that condors. You're and delivering. then someone would make crazy um, oh, yeah. animal bird noises. <laughs> and then we'd always tell them to come to this regional airport and bring bananas.
2: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he would always try to get them to either come down, like, you need to come down here and sign for it, or they're coming there and they're going to deliver them to you. And Alex Trebek is just like, no, who is, no, I'm not- I did not order these. And he's <laughs> just like, that, sorry, actually. sir, you're, yeah, but, and he's interestingly not like it i feel like he's not mean i mean sometimes it veers into a little bit like oh my god you're really ruining this person's day but it's mostly because the person that he's calling seems like they're a bad person well have you seen like
4: nathan for you yeah what do you think about that ethically i've only seen
2: i don't know i only saw some stuff from the first season and i understand i mean people love it but i also know some people I've heard people say that it's like the most exploitative thing they've ever watched or whatever. But I, the couple episodes that I saw, it these people are adults who can make their own decisions. Yeah, I feel they're like.
4: signing releases to yeah. be on reality television they, shows.
2: I feel like they don't exist in a vacuum. Maybe the very early stuff, people had no idea what it was going to be. I mean, I did think the one that I remember, I saw the ghost real estate person one, and I saw the one where. <laughs> He went to maybe Venice Beach or somewhere in California and a guy who drew caricatures. And he was like, nobody's getting their caricatures drawn by you because you don't understand that caricatures are supposed to exaggerate and like spoof a person and be sort of mean. And like, he's like, I'm going to turn you into the king of sting. And he starts drawing, he gets this guy to draw these like outrageous caricatures of people that are like incredibly offensive. (laughs) Like, and one of them is like this couple who sit down and he draws himself he he draws the the woman and he draws himself like just banging her from behind <laughs> with like her tits out Jesus. and then draws her boyfriend like over in the corner with his little tiny dick that he's pulling at getting cucked and like gives it to them and Nathan's like, Do you see now? They love it. Everyone loves you. You're the bet I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Really- I mean, That doesn't really explore how I felt about. I mean, I thought that was fucking hilarious, but it's also like insane. I don't know.
4: We went to this. Gave me like next level appreciation for Nathan for you because
2: he. I think he's a brilliant comic. I just oh haven't seen the show enough to really like say that I feel one way or the other. I thought what I saw was really funny, but I don't know how far it's gone. Yeah, now that it's like three I mean, seasons in.
4: There's one episode that I call "Smokers Only," but it's really called "Smokers Allowed." Uh huh. And he's like. Uh, okay, well, the bars think they lose money ever since no one can smoke there. Uh-huh. But you're allowed to smoke in a play. So we're going to make... In a
2: play. A play. Oh, like, like a, on stage. Yeah, on stage.
4: <laughs> and so he makes a, a stage production called Smokers Allowed. And it's just a section of the bar where you're allowed to smoke and that's the play. Oh, that's cool. Um, So funny. Other things. But we saw him... Um a live show in Philadelphia and you know how his shtick is, um you know I'm Nathan Fielder and I I graduated from a business school in mm-hmm. Canada with pretty good grades. No,
2: he, I, he went to business business school, school with for a pre- semester. Yeah, but he doesn't. <laughs> he, he went to business school. Yeah, which is not untrue.
4: Yeah, with pretty good <laughs> grades, and then it cuts to like CCB. Yeah. Um, but those
2: are presidential grades.
4: George W. Bush, you mean? Yeah. Um. Anyway, so it was a, a screening of the first episode of the season, or one of the episodes of the season, and he did a kind of a live show where he would invite people from the audience up to interview them. And I watched the most brilliant comic dismantling extemporaneously of the most deserving fucking like it was almost all bros Mm -hmm. in the audience, which makes you feel like, Oh, what's wrong with me that this is my thing. And they're all like business students Mm -hmm. and there are businessmen who think they're, they have a good sense of humor. So you watch them go up one person after the other being like, so self-assured and cocky. They're like, oh, yeah, I can do this. I can go head-to-head with Nathan Fielder, oh, yeah. a professional comedian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. And it's... so they would go up there, and he destroyed them. <laughs> the first guy, he was, like, <laughs> all so, so confident, and he w- goes up, and he's like, oh, yeah, tell me about yourself. He's like, oh, yeah, so I'm a business major. I'm a, I'm a senior at Lehigh, uh, and he's like, Oh yeah, is that a school? Is that a I'm from Canada. I don't know any schools. Is that a good school? He's like, "Oh yeah, it's a pretty good school." He's like, "What do you do? Like are you in a fraternity or whatever?" "Oh yeah, I'm in the fraternity and then he said the name and and he was like looking at the audience like with a shit eating grin like, "Oh, I got this." You know? Mm-hmm. Like I'm really funny. Um, and I'm a businessman. Um, and all my like dudes are in the audience with me. And Nathan was like, "Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, I don't know much about uh about fraternities, but I've heard about this one and and he's like, Oh, you know, is that the one you were in? Oh yeah. Oh, hmm, interesting. Okay. And then they have this whole conversation for probably 20 minutes. And at the end, um, Nathan's like, So yeah, um, I was doing this show in Florida and I it was a college show, and I asked them, you know what are some of the fraternities here? And they called out the name of your fraternity. And I asked the audience, what are they known for? And everyone in the audience yelled, rape.
2: Jeez. <laughs> what did the guy say?
4: The guy was like, oh, oh but because he had already gotten him talking about, um, how about hazing. He was like, do you yeah. have hazing? And he's like, oh, if I had hazing, I'd have to kill you. Like if I told you no, about yeah, hazing. Yeah, and Nathan yeah. was like, wait, what? And 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 then twenty minutes later, he just pulls out like, "Oh yeah, I've heard of that fraternity because <laughs> of its reputation wow. for rape." Oh man! And the guy was destroyed. He was so mad, which made it funnier.
2: Good. That's a that's outstanding. That's fun. See, that's uh yeah. That's good. That's good prank. That's great. That's good prank. Yeah, it that's gives a good, good prank. Well, I think uh, to I've I've tried to have classes of mine do prank phone calls before following this kind of architecture that somebody else taught me which was basically like you can't be antagonistic and you're just you're just trying to keep this person on the phone yeah like in
4: kind of like a suicide hotline
2: yeah (laughs) um and we would call uh citibank like or chase just call talk to them about your account and things like that and that was pretty fun because you weren't like those uh folks that are working there probably most people are just screaming at them. So like, if you're slightly entertaining, they're just like, I don't give a fuck. I'm getting paid. Like, yes, I'll stay on the line with you. Like, it doesn't matter. And you just ask them weird questions about your counter. You don't understand this or that. And that was pretty fun. Um, but it's, it's really hard to do something like that where like, it sounds like the Nathan thing, the live thing is definitely like a, uh, that's punching in the right direction.
4: Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, that's, I'm, that's always, the calculation i think yeah if you're if you're punching down it's really gross
2: yeah well it's a it's tough to uh make prank phone calls now to any businesses without like the first person who intercepts your call is probably underpaid and exploited and having like a shitty time almost yeah anywhere like i really want to call galleries and just chat but I feel bad for whoever's, like, whatever kid is in school that they're making sit at the front desk. Or maybe it's a rich kid. You think it's a rich kid? Okay, after this, tell me the galleries where the rich kids work in the front, and I'll call them.
4: <laughs> you think I know? I'm like, I have, like, a list, like, Happy Madison style of, like, all the rich kids yeah, yeah, that work yeah, yeah. in the art gallery. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just crossing <laughs>
2: them off. <laughs> um, okay, before we finish up, I wanted to talk about the book that we made together that you put out because it sort of links back to watching married with children as a child. And so the book that you made was a two volume book called women aren't funny one and two, uh, which I think I told you this when I picked them up from the printer, I, I did not know that the boxes that the books were in, they had, uh, taped the cover Like, they'd print out the cover and taped it to both boxes. um, As you do. Because one was white and one was black with the text inverse or whatever. But, um, you know, just so they knew which boxes were which. I did not see that when I picked them up. It was facing outwards. And I (laughs) went and I got on a bus. And I rode the bus for probably, like, 40 minutes to, like, get (laughs) home, transferred to a different bus, like, smiling, kind of, like, looking at people. And everyone was just fucking scowling at me. And I was like, I don't – I'm sorry that I'm taking up – space with these boxes i'm trying to be really good about it i'm not sitting down on the bus or anything i'm like putting them between my legs and standing and i was like what is everybody's fucking problem today like jesus christ and i'm just walking around brooklyn with i'm just carrying boxes of things that it looks like i've made that just say women aren't funny on them and i'm just like <laughs> like some fucking nathan for you th- like or those shitty kids on youtube they're like it's just a social experiment man calm down oh you know my God. like and I got home, and I was mortified. And I was just like,
0: Fuck you, God, Sarah. I'm insane. Well, I had
2: your name on it, too. But it was much... I mean, the title is very loud and yeah. big. It looks like then Now That's What I Call Music, yeah. right? Because yeah. that's what you wanted it to look like. But it says, Women Aren't Funny, as if it's a giant like hit record. And then your name is <laughs> really is. tiny underneath it. And I'm walking around. But anyway, so...
4: It's a giant hit record called Civilization. <laughs>
2: okay. So... <laughs> Those uh, oh and I do wanna point out that you brought up making this book to me uh years ago and it was way before the documentary came out that was called Women Aren't Funny.
1: Yes. Uh, okay, I'm,
2: so uh, I I do just wanna put pioneer. that on record. Yes, you were the first person to say to say that women, women aren't, aren't funny. Yes. And I wanna say thank you for that because yes. prior to that most of my socialization had told me otherwise.
4: Yeah, I know. It it's it. I really needed to bring truth. <laughs> A dose of truth.
2: Blow the fucking lid off this thing.
4: Yeah. I just thought of the title and I thought, I really want to be the author of a book called Women Aren't Funny, but I want it to have zero words. Because the second you start to say any words about women aren't funny or women are funny, you've lost the argument. So I just wanted it to be absurd graphic. So I actually made my own third volume, which was um, because the first volume was... uh, like accessories organizers
2: yeah for the closet
4: right? it, yeah that are in the shape of curvy dresses
2: yeah they're anthropomorphized and sort of like it doesn't make any sense
4: <laughs> no it makes why no sense like that but it's just it, it's mostly just absurd marketing towards women like yeah. just picture the person who has to design this thing like in a cad drawing <laughs> with like the, the 50 zippers for the little compartments <laughs>
2: they're like could you uh bring the waist in a little more
4: yeah exactly um
2: but don't make it too don't make it too exaggerated we don't want to we want to we don't want anyone to feel alienated
4: exactly and then the second one was just pictures of um the no ma'am shirt from from uh, married with children which is is uh al bundy had a club called no ma'am and it was it it had a big no sign and ma'am the um, and it was basically his men's group. Before men's groups were a thing, he was right. the pioneer.
2: Yeah, he de- he created Reddit IRL. Yeah. Like, he <laughs> yeah. had a...
4: Yeah, basically. Um, and, oh, that actually reminds me, just a little bit of a callback to my friend Giovanna Feldman. We went to Florida once to visit my grandparents. Uh-huh. And we saw, um, what's his name? Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill out to dinner. Really? And we were so psyched. <laughs> and we went up to him and we were like, will you autograph our... And he was like, I'm sorry.
2: Whoa. Yeah. Rude.
4: Yeah. But um, anyway, so that will always hurt my feelings. Um, and then the third issue, which I did myself, it's not as good as your two issues,
2: but I just... Well, Claire designed those. Yeah. So that's um, why they look nice.
4: Yeah. And um, it's Women Aren't Funny 3, and it's pictures of... Um, yearly planners that Mm -hmm. are marketed towards women about like being your best self and the fonts and colors rainbow it's really absurd um and it's a marketing thing that's taken over like every two hours on my instagram feed i'm getting these ads for them which horrifies me
2: probably because you were looking them up
4: yeah so don't make art
2: don't look anything up (laughs) Yeah, And No Ma'am, I I just looked it up because I couldn't remember what it stood for, but it is the National Organization of Men Against Amazonian Masterhood. (laughs) And is that the concept that in the Amazon, it's a matriarchy?
4: Probably. And
2: that they don't want that to come over here?
4: Yeah. I mean, it was like, I mean, it's a hilarious joke, though. It's like this totally emasculated man that's like trying to act like he's like the king of the castle Mm -hmm. and his his wife and his kids and all of society are like fuck you dude. and so all the hijinks in the show are about it's actually really ahead of its time yeah yeah uh it'd be really appropriate that's if they should remake anything they should remake married with children
2: Mm. yeah he was a pitiful pitiful man on that show Oh yeah. He's a shoe salesman.
4: Shoe salesman, always he was always down hand. on his
2: knees touching people's feet.
4: Yeah, and then when or if he wasn't, he was sitting on the he's... couch with his hand down his pants.
2: Oh yeah. That's I think that's the first do you remember there was like a show that was like clearly a married with children ripoff that was called Unhappily Ever After? Yeah,
4: wasn't it with like Belushi, one of the Belushis? Mm,
2: I don't think it was a Belushi, but there was a bunny, like a, a bunny puppet in the basement that the dad like the ed o'neill type character <laughs> the l bundy character would like get away from his family and go down to like his man cave in the basement and there was a bunny that
4: sounds vaguely that me.
2: lived down there that was voiced by bobcat goldthwaite oh and so
1: great he, detail
2: yeah so it was just like hey man whatever <laughs> and it was like what the fuck and i was like this is just married with children yeah <laughs> this is the show they just have a bobcat goldthwaite is a bunny that talks to this guy and i was like how is this not being sued yeah. <laughs> into the ground? I don't know.
4: Cool, well, thanks for having me. I hope this was,
2: it was lovely, not
4: too abject.
2: No, I'm very glad that you came by and that we got to do this before the break, and I'm actually very sorry that your show ends on the night that I put this out.
4: <laughs> no, it's perfect. It's
2: Get the catalog.
0: Yeah, the catalog's available.
2: Cool, okay, thank you, Sarah. Okay. Uh, Everybody, until next week.
0: The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down At the big lake they call Gitchagumi
1: The lake it is
0: said never gives up her dead When the skies of November turn gloomy With the load of iron ore 26,000 tons more Than the Edmund Fitzgerald weighed empty.